When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Leighton Hewitt, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. Now, as well as our weekly show, which is out every Monday, and the daily shows at the Grand Slams, from time to time, we're going to be publishing special editions of the show, known as Tennis Podcast Extra. We'll feature some big interviews, emergency editions if we need to respond to news events in the sport, and a few standalone debates as well, because you know how Catherine and I do like an argument. First of the shows is going to concentrate on a big interview, that of Nick Kyrgios, who's been talked about a lot on this show. We'll be hearing from the man himself in an interview conducted by The Telegraph's Simon Briggs last month in Miami, and from his Davis Cup captain and mentor, Leighton Hewitt. Kyrgios and Andy Murray will both be playing on grass in the Aegon Championships at the Queen's Club in June, and Simon started by asking Kyrgios why he and Andy Murray get on so well. He's, I think he's a really caring guy. You know, I think we get along well. Not even, you know, at, at tournaments, but when I see him just, you know, around, we, we get along well. We like the same stuff. He likes basketball as well. But he's just a very friendly guy. He's very down to earth. Um, you know, that's, I mean, I don't want to, don't want to like, he's a good bloke, like you know. Yeah. Sure. Um, so last week you were talking about um, Adia coming back and on the tour and how that, that had given you. Quite a big boost. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's a big part of the, the results you've had in the last few weeks, right? Yeah, 100. percent um, You know, I think the last four weeks I've had pretty good results. I've semi, semi quarters, and now in the fourth round. So, you know, that's I think that's the consistency that you know I've been looking for. Um, it hasn't been easy at all. You know, I've been taking it day by day. Um, yeah, and I just um, yeah, I mean, seeing her back on the court and just seeing her just getting back into the tournament has been has been it's been helping me because I've been I've seen her when she was in a sling, you know, just after surgery, not being able to hit and in the dark place she was in and, you know, kinda of put a bit of perspective into my life as well. You know, after Australian Open I wasn't in the greatest greatest mindset and, you know, I was in a pretty dark place and then, you know, I thought about, you know, the position she was in and, you know, I was in a pretty lucky position myself being healthy, so seeing her has been good. I mean I'm seeing her more often's obviously helping my um, headspace as well. Do you, you actually practice with her a bit as well? Yeah, we practice a lot um, back in Boca. Um, she, I'm obviously, I'm probably her first option, I think. But, um, <laughs> is, she, is she your first option? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think, honestly, I think she's playing well from the back um, because of, you know, the stand that I that I bring to the practice court. Um, 
But yeah, she, we, we hit a lot and you know, hopefully we're actually trying to play, we're going to maybe play mixed doubles at, the, at Wimbledon. So, you know, it'll be good to see her back there and at a Grand Slam and, and yeah, I mean, we, we practice a lot. So one thing I've noticed is you, you talked about how much you enjoy Davis Cup. You seem to be really enjoying doubles. I sometimes think that you just like talking to people and you find it difficult when you're on your singles court and you've got no one to chat to. Is that, is that, is that sometimes the case? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I don't... Yeah, I prefer to have some company. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, of course, I think I'm trying to play doubles. I think it's really helped my singles game a lot with my returns. Um, I think I'm volleying a lot better. I think I'm coming forward a lot better. Um, but, yeah, I'm trying to play a lot of doubles. Just, I mean, but, yeah, I think it's developing my game as well. But I like, especially playing with a close friend like Matt Reed. I think we're going to try and play a lot of doubles moving forward. I mean, he's a great friend. I think it's just good to... You can't be always so serious when you step out on court. You know, I think singles is obviously where I want to have most of my great results and I'm going to try and knuckle down. But doubles, I think I'm going to sort of lay back and I want to win, but have, have that, you know, that element of fun as well. Because you always end up interacting with somebody. Or just, just seems, yeah. Whether it's the, the ball kid today as well. Yeah, I mean, especially when you're playing someone like Eva, you know, it can get a bit <laughs> slow out there. You know, he's hitting a lot of aces past you. The game's not a lot, not a lot's happening. So you try and keep yourself entertained. So John was telling me you, you, you normally get a place in Wimbledon for like six weeks. Um, and what, what is it about London that, that you find fun? Well, I think I can just find similarities between London and Australia. It's very homely. Um, and obviously John lives there and he knows a lot of you know, good places. But I, I love that time of the year. You know, it feels, you know, when you have your team around you and you have, you know, a nice house. Um, and, you, and, you, and obviously you're playing some of the greatest tournaments in the world, Queen's. Uh, Wimbledon, you know, I mean, two of the two of the best ones, I think. You know, they run perfectly; they're so organised. I mean, I really like, enjoy that time of the year. Um, it's like you're away from home at the same time you're at home as well. You know, you have the family there, closest closest friends on tour. So yeah, I really enjoy that time of year. So your brother comes, yeah. You say your family, your mum comes. Yeah, my mum, uh, my dad always comes for Wimbledon. Is sister um, ever come? Um, sometimes she came for a couple of days last year. But my dad always comes. That's sort of his period where he can sort of sit back and, and enjoy some tennis. But, yeah, that's when uh, he, enjoy, he enjoys it the most, there, I think. You seem extremely close-knit. Yeah, definitely. I'm very family-orientated. And um, the other thing about uh, Canberra is obviously he gets sort of flack for being dull. I have been there, been, been to the War Museum. Yeah. Um, is that, is that that's, that's like the, uh, the stereotype is not true? Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's true. It depends what you like. Um, you know, if you like a place where it's nice and quiet, it's very homely. Um, you know, it's. I mean, I'm not. Uh, I don't. I mean, I obviously like to go out and have fun, but you know, I'm not all about partying and stuff. So, you know, I think that's that's a perfect place for me to get get away from tennis with my friends. And obviously, home's home. No matter where you grow up, you're gonna have a soft spot for that place. So, I mean, I think Canberra's the best place in the world. And what about your overall relationship with Australia? Because you, you do tend to sometimes get your, your toughest reviews mm. there as well. <laughs> it's just a, just a part of, of being part of a kind of country with, a, let's say, a lively media scene. Yeah, of course. Um, it hasn't been easy for me, um, especially you know, after Australian Open, losing early. I think I'm, at times I get treated a bit unfairly. Um, but you know, in saying that, so do, so do some other athletes in Australia. But... You know, at the same time, I just feel like things can change. You know, they, everyone likes a winner, so, you know, if I keep winning and keep having good results, they, they seem to like me, but obviously, that's the way it goes. We, we gave Andy a tough time as well when he was a kid, you probably know that. And then he, and then he started winning, so that's <laughs> the solution, I think. Um, so, Jonathan, I mean, your, your sporting hero is Adebayo Mayweather, Kevin Garnett, is that right? Yeah, it's about right. Um, yeah, I like those three guys, I think. 
I mean, Adebayo-wise, is, I think he's just entertaining when he played uh, Premier League. I don't even know where he's playing right now, but I still follow him on Instagram. I think he's just cool. I, have a, I play FIFA a lot, and that's who I always use. <laughs> Garnett's probably, you know, the, the sports person I looked up to the most growing up, and just the emotion he played with. And I mean, I just like Floyd because he's the man in the ring. He doesn't lose. Okay, but uh, you, so the other one I was going to ask you was, was the um, cause last, three, last three slams seems that you've had some physical things yep. each time. Um, do you feel like you're getting get to the point where your body's going to hold up for, for this kind of the, the fortnight, five yeah, setters? Of course. I mean, I made quarterfinals twice. Um, you know, I know that I can go the distance. I've played a lot of five setters. I think I've never, the last couple of Grand Slams have had a lot going on um, off the court. I've, yeah. I've found some clarity, you know, mentally of late. And I feel like, you know, I mean, Australian Open for me was a disaster. I think the the, lead, the couple of weeks leading up to the tournament, I wasn't in uh, good physical shape. I was in a, you know, a tough mental space. And, you know, I think the last couple of times I haven't prepared the way I want to prepare. So, you know, I'm going to take... I think right now the way I'm physically and mentally, I think it's, I mean, I'm levels above how I've been in the previous Grand Slam, so I'm confident. How, how important is it to, to you that when you, you know, when you look back, you're going to be able to say, I kind of, I, I made the most of, of what I had? How important that, that is to me? Yeah. So is that a big um, thing for you? Or is it something you ever think about? Not really. Um, you know, I don't regret anything I do or any, any way I go into things. You know, I think that's what, that's what makes everyone different. Um, obviously, I'm not going to be as serious as you know Nadal going into a match or mm. you know, have the same routines. But that's what makes him so good as well. So, I think everyone's different. Montfils, uh, myself, Nadal, Federer—we're all different. That's what makes the sport entertaining and exciting. Having different people and they bring different things to the sport. Montfils and Song are your big PlayStation mates. Yeah, um, Montfils is. Song is a bit. I mean, Song is settling down. He's just had a kid, so I don't think he'll be playing too much, too many computer games. Not much time left for that. Yeah, exactly. Did you move? Did you buy a place in the Bahamas? I did, yeah. Is that, is that partly because Leighton's hanging around there? Is he going to hang out? Or? Yeah, I mean, he just recently opened a, a tennis academy. So, you know, he's obviously... I mean, I love that place. I mean, I've been there a couple times now, and it's just a good place to get away. And obviously, to have a base away from home is important, especially if you live in Australia. Sounds a bit more exotic than Epping. Yeah. A bit more, bit, maybe a bit more um, relaxing than Canberra. A bit more relaxing. I thought, yeah. I thought so camera is not, not the sleepy place. It's it was just, I was just being sarcastic. Yeah, I see. Okay. And just coming back to Andy, the um, you're four one. You're four and one against the other big four, aren't you? Uh, yeah. Um, and you're zero and five against Andy. I mean, it's an easy um, assumption to make, but it's not because you like him too much, is it? Uh, no, but <laughs> I, I think you know, the last couple of times I've played him, I haven't been in the best mental state. You know, every time. Every time I've played him, you know, I think uh, I think my game at the moment is is a lot better than how it was when I played him last. Mm. Um, but I think every time I play him, you know, I mean, at Wimbledon I had a lot going on. Um, obviously, yeah, it was a tough um, playing Wimbledon. I mean, he was playing unbelievable that week. But I think if I played him again, it would be it would be a lot of fun. You know, I'd love to play him again and and give him my best shot. Uh, I think where I am right now is he's gonna he's gonna be very competitive against him. But in saying that, you know, he can still beat me and he's very good. So. With not having a coach, how much do you think about um, your game plan? Because I was watching you guys know about you seem to be mixing it up in what seemed to me to catch him off balance because sometimes you were playing slow, sometimes you were playing fast and coming in. Is that instinctual? I mean, 
you seem to have a pretty high tennis IQ, but do you, how much do you kind of work it out? Because you've got nobody to sort of sit down with before the match. Well, I suppose you can sit down with John, maybe. But. Yeah, I think, it, I think my, my tennis has always been based on instinct, you know, how I feel out there. You know, uh, I, I know... I know tactically what to do against any player. You know, I know. Just happens automatically. Yeah, I mean, I feel I'm, I feel like I'm pretty switched on out in tennis squad. I know what people's weaknesses are. Mm. Everyone knows what everyone's weakness is. It's just you know how how are you going to expose that on the day? And you know, I, don't, I don't think you really need a coach for, for tactics. I think we all know how to play. We all know what to do. Um, it's just how how you execute on the big stage. So I know that Novak. You know, he's unbelievable athlete. He likes pace. So if he likes pace, that means you slow it down. Well, I guess you've got a lot of options as well. Not everybody can do the, the, the slow, quick, slow thing, can they? Yeah, definitely. I think, I, I mean, I've, I've served unbelievably well both times as well, which has helped me create pressure mm. on his serve, so, mm. yeah. Okay, cool. Nice one. Thank you no, for the time. All good. So that's Nick Kyrgios with Simon Briggs of The Telegraph talking in Miami last month. And from there, he went to Brisbane in Australia and helped his country win their Davis Cup tie against the United States, winning both of his singles rubbers. Captain Leighton Hewitt was very, very impressed with what he saw. Oh, yeah, he did everything right. Um, you know, he came back after playing a lot of matches over the last probably month and a half, last five or six weeks. And, um, you know, we were, I guess for, for us, it was about trying to keep him uh, in a really happy place and keep him mentally strong and, and uh, fit going into the matches. Um, but he still had a lot of pressure and expectation on him. And, and I think the pleasing thing for me was how he went out there and embraced that and handled it. Uh, it's not always the easiest thing going out there and playing in front of your home crowd when you know, you've had some good results against big players and they expect you to go out there and just get the job done. But you know, how Nick handled it and embraced it and, and really soaked up the atmosphere. And um, you know, I think it's going to be a telling weekend for him uh, in his career. And you mentioned it, it sort of it's come off the back of a number of very good results for him. But I mean, I, what what impressed me is the fact that he hasn't had any sort of letdown. I remember at the end of the year when he had his his issue in Shanghai, it came straight off the back of a brilliant week, and it seemed to me almost as though he a couple of times he's almost hit the wall and 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 then struggled to back it up. Uh, but but that has not been the case in the last well couple of months. Yeah, I think that's been a big thing. Um, yeah, after the Australian Open, he lost earlier. The Australian Open, he was pretty disappointed, and and I spoke to him and and got him to come back and uh, you know come around the other teammates for the Davis Cup uh, before we played our first round tie. And I think that was massive key for him, um, just to sort of shrug off that loss and and see that there are other people that really had his back as well and that were supporting of Nick and were going to help him through the tough times. Um, and I think to, to him then that he saw this as a, uh, a group that he can sort of lead into the future as well. And he took a, a massive responsibility with that, um, which is probably the most pleasing thing for me. Um, because the way he's been going out there and, and helping our younger guys and, and, you know, guys like Jordan Thompson, Alex Diminar, these kind of players has been remarkable the last couple of months. And, um, we've had a group chat that, uh, you know, we're all on as well. Um, and for me, it's not just about supporting these players through the Davis Cup weeks. It's actually all year round um, because it does become pretty lonely out there on the tour. And I think for Nick, having that support week in and week out for a whole from a whole lot of other guys has really helped him. It's given him a lot of confidence, even if he does lose a match. You know, everyone's on there speaking to him, letting him know, you know, how well he's done. And, and I think that, he feels like he can push on from there. 
And I mean, he is, a, I think, it's fair to say, a very different character to you, but you, you appear to have, have really forged a bond. What do you... What do you think gets the best out of him from your perspective? I mean, I, I always feel as though there's there's not a one-size-fits-all with tennis players. You, you know, you're human beings, first of all. Yeah, I think for me, in my role, has been learning about people even away from tennis. Um, and, you know, something I really tried to do towards the end of my playing days with these guys, once I knew I was going to be Davis Cup captain, um, was really trying to learn to know these guys on and off the court and, and what makes them tick. Um, and I think once you understand that, then you understand how they're going to deal with pressure in different ways. Um, and so, for example, me talking to Jordan Thompson uh, under pressure or in a tough situation is totally different to talking to Nick. Um, and I think that's something that's really helped me in my role with Nick. Um, he is a different personality. Um, but we've tried to put things in place where he's had good people around him to support him as well. Um, you know, a guy like Matt Reed, who's been a big part of our Davis Cup squad as a hitting partner and, and a guy that sort of helped out with travel weeks with some of the guys, um, he, he's done amazing with Nick over the last, uh, you know, probably two to three months now um, and, and just makes it a lot easier for Nick to go out there and enjoy his tennis as well and, and probably not get quite as homesick. Homesick, that, that's quite interesting because when, when the interview I heard him him do with Simon Briggs for The Telegraph, he, he comes across almost surprisingly as, as a real sort of family man, uh, somebody who gets lonely on the circuit. And, and I, I imagine that that is a challenge he's going to have to get used to and find ways of, of coping with over the, over the years to come. Yeah, well, I think that's why scheduling is such a big part of... of what's going to really help Nick uh, become a top player because, you know, it does get pretty pretty lonely out there on the tennis tour when you're travelling. And, and for a guy like Nick, you know, he's lucky he's got Isla, his girlfriend. Um, now he's put things in place with Matt Reed to have another mate around him for a lot of the time as well. Um, so it's about putting these structures in place to make him feel as comfortable as possible. Um, but there are still going to be tough times and, and that's where he's got to be really smart with how many tournaments he plays uh, in a group before he goes back and, and has a couple of weeks off. And, and, you know, that's trying to find that really good balance for him. Do, do you think, Leighton, do you think we've, I mean, we as, as a, certainly as a media and, and maybe as a public, have we got him wrong? Have we, have we misunderstood him? I mean, obviously people get criticism, sometimes fair, sometimes not. He's done some things that haven't been great. I'm sure he he would accept that. But but do you feel that we we have misunderstood who he is? Oh, I think at times for sure. Um, and I think it's kind of like a snowball effect. Um, once someone does something, even at a young age, and you're under the spotlight, it keeps getting brought up all the time. Then, um, and you know, I think certain people, including myself have felt that over the years as well. Um, so for a guy like Nick, he, uh, I guess, gets quite defensive when that happens as well. And, you know, that makes it hard for him to actually open up and for people to see the real Nick Kyrgios. Um, but, you know, he he's certainly done things that he's not proud of, um, but it's all about maturing as well and, and learning from those experiences and hopefully getting better as a tennis player but better as a person, uh, dealing with those stressful situations when he's put in them next time. 
Um, you know, sometimes we tend to forget he's only 21. He's, um, he's been in the spotlight for quite a few years now, ever since he especially had that big win against Rafa at, at Wimbledon. Um, and, you know, he's still learning how to deal with that. He is a very different type of player to yourself. You had a generation where you you followed Rafter. You were in there with Philippoussis. How talented is he compared to you and those other guys? Oh, well, he's probably more talented than me. Um, you know, he, he's actual the talent that he has and how uh, the shot making ability that he has is pretty remarkable. Um, you know, the things he can do on a tennis court. And I think sometimes it comes a little bit too easy to him. And that's why we do see some of the, the different shots for him because he's, uh, he, he sort of gets bored out in the court sometimes, I think. And so that's why it's so important for him to remain focused and concentrate and, and stay in the moment as much as possible. And, and I think for me, that's been one of the most pleasing things over the last two or three months. He's been able to really do that. He's been able to knuckle down and focus on absolutely every single point out there. That's something actually he was saying. that the, He seems to have almost started to develop an enjoyment out of trying hard, out of, out of competing for every point. That seems to almost have become a bit of a badge of honour for him. Yeah, well, I think the other thing is he can really then see how good he potentially can be. You know, until you commit to the sport and commit to yourself to go out there and, and give every single point your best effort, um, you're never going to know how good you can be. And I guess in some ways, you know, maybe he was he was scared of that as well. Um, you know, and I think now he's at a time and a place in his in his life that he's ready to take that responsibility and have a real crack. How good do you think he can be? Well, it's hard to say. You know, the tennis that I've seen, yeah, he's nearly in the top 10 now. Obviously, you know, top five would be the next goal. Um, but certainly, you know, the next next goal in terms of majors would be to try and make it down to the semi-final, something that he hasn't done before. And then he has the game style to beat anyone on any given day. Um, you know, if you look at Milos making the final of Wimbledon last year, I think something like that would spur Nick on. Um, because in my mind, he's as good a player, if not better. Um, he has probably a more complete all-round game. Um, and I think he can play on all surfaces as well. You know, even on a slow clay court, he has the, the fire and the, you know, the firepower and weapons to be able to hit through guys. But he actually moves really well for a guy that's six foot three, six foot four. And he's already said he's going to come to Queens the way you used to do. He 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 he's excited about playing on grass. He says, in his view, that's his best surface. Do you think he's capable of winning Queens Wimbledon one day? Oh, one day for sure, absolutely. Um, you know, Queens and Wimbledon. You know, right at the moment, you've still got you know, obviously Andy and and those boys that are extremely good, especially on those kind of grass courts. But but Nick's up there. You know, you look at last year at Wimbledon even. And, you know, it takes a guy like Andy to beat him. Um, so, you know, he, he's going to be very competitive this year at Wimbledon. I think if he's in the right headspace and, and going out there, I think over five sets he's going to get better as well uh, over the next couple of years. Uh, but he's certainly a, not a dark horse, but he's in that next group after the top, you know, four or five players to win Wimbledon. And just just final question, Leighton. Uh, the, the match that... I think we'll be talking about all year was the one he played against your old rival, Roger Federer, at, uh, in Miami, that three-tie break match. Um, can you believe what you're seeing from Roger Federer? I mean, this guy, guy was coming up with you. Yeah, no, it's incredible. Um, you know, one, how he's been able to keep his body 
in such good condition for so many years. I know he's had a few niggles and, and injuries the last year or so, um, but still, you know, how sharp and how quick he is, agile around the court is, is remarkable. And, and even with Nick's kind of power, you know, Roger's one of the guys, probably maybe the only guy that can uh, take that power away from him um, by, you know, bunting back a lot of serves and he gets to play on his terms then. Um, he has such a good transition game that puts guys under a lot of pressure and puts them on the back foot. But, yeah, it's remarkable what Roger's been able to do this year. Uh, yeah, I don't think anyone would have thought that he could go out there and win Indian Wells, uh, Miami and the Australian Open. That's uh, a great story. And um, great story for Australia reaching the Davis Cup semis as well. Many congratulations. Yeah, no, that's awesome. and, uh, Thank you, mate. Thanks for your time. No worries. Thanks, Dave. See you, mate. So there's Leighton Hewitt. And uh, as you can tell, there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot may be your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com this edition of the tennis podcast is sponsored by tennis channel and tennis channel plus is the place to watch the french open they've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or your smart tv both in hd matt this sounds like your kind of thing yeah there's nothing i like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere dipping in to where there's the latest final set tie break or even the latest bit of aggro and David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Well, he's had a pretty profound effect on Nick Kyrgios. Seems to be helping him go in the right direction. And if he can do anything to embody the sort of performances he used to put up and the attitude he used to have inside the skill set of Nick Kyrgios. My goodness, we will be in for something pretty special. The man who did the interview with Nick Kyrgios is Mr. Simon Briggs of The Telegraph. And you can read his piece on The Telegraph website and in the newspaper as well. A huge, uh, big spread on Nick Kyrgios, who, Simon, is somebody you've obviously been following very closely ever since he started his career. But as you said in your piece, and I think as you've probably got to grips with in, in that interview, it feels like change is coming and, and he does appear to be grasping what's, what's required now. Yeah, I think he's decided that uh, he's going to measure himself maybe less on results and maybe more on the amount of effort he's putting in to the sort of basic 
elements of, of training and competing. Um, it's about maybe not getting quite so um, up and down, isn't it, in the course of touring the world. And it's a difficult uh, skill to master if you're one of those people who you, f you feel he might have been one of those characters at school, you know, a little, little bit kind of short attention spam, full of bounce and brio, incredibly talented, but needs to learn to settle to things and kind of persist with things. And, and that's taken a little bit of time, but now he's doing it. He's uh, able to express his unbelievable talent. One thing that came across in the interview that, that perhaps I was I was a little bit taken aback by, I was surprised to find out, is is how how much his family means to him. Not not that he wouldn't be a, a family man, but I mean it seems it seems pretty much everything he's about, you know. And and uh, we, we've we've seen over the last couple of days very sad news that his grandfather has passed away, and and he's been posting regularly on social media his thoughts and his opening his art really about that hasn't he is, did that come as a surprise to you I mean when you sat down with him is is he what you expected him to be well he's still quite um you know the cool sort of kid um the, the, the sort of teenager I know he's 22 now but he, he's still got that sort of street edge to him um and he kind of he's pretty sharp if you say something pretty daft he'll pull you up on it and uh, take the mickey out of you, but not in an unpleasant way. You know, he's, yeah, I, mean, I find him um, you know, entertaining and, and engaging. Um, and obviously we did end up talking a lot about not only his family, but Alia Tomljanovic, who, if anything, you know, has been the most important single person in making him feel more comfortable in himself and, and, and making him relish the tour a little bit more because he saw how downcast she was when she had shoulder surgery and she wasn't able to play or train. Um, but yes, I mean, you see Christos' brother around with him, a very easily uh, identifiable figure. And his mother, Nil, was in um, Miami when I met him. She was there every day with John Morris's agent. And uh, his father, George, comes to Wimbledon every year. So it's almost like they, they take turns a little bit, don't they, to sort of... I mean, I, I'm about to say hold his hand. That sounds a bit patronising, but there is an element of that, and I don't think that's a bad thing. No, and I think we've seen that with other players. I mean, I'd even say we've seen that with Andy Murray over the years, haven't we? Having a close-knit group of people around as much, I mean, certainly in his early years, part of it was to help his game along, but I think part of it as well was just to, to not feel lonely, to feel like he'd got company, he'd have fun in his own little group. And I, I do think that that is probably underestimated uh, on the tennis circuit, what a lonely place it can be at times. Uh, we talked to Leighton Hewitt about that, that a little earlier. J just finally, Simon, on, on Kyrgios, the fact that we're doing a tennis podcast about him using your interview, the fact that you've done a double-page spread on him, shows the sort of star quality, I suppose, that he has, that we're all taking notice. How, how big a deal do you think he is going to be? Do you, do you see him as... as the person who is going to be commanding most of the attention over the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have said that uh, the obvious uh, inheritors of the Big Four crown, uh, Nick Kyrgios and Alexander Zverev, who happened to play each other twice in the, um, the last few weeks. Um, I actually looked at the race today and was surprised that he wasn't all that high. I think he was 11th, Nick, because it feels to me like in, on the level of his performances... You know, the best two players in the world this year have been Roger Federer and probably Rafael Nadal, and Nick's been 
as good as anybody, maybe, you know, not far off Nadal's level. He hasn't played a great deal since um, the American hardcore season. He hasn't played at all, I should say. Um, and uh, he's not somebody who's going to be doing a Dominic team and going from one tournament to another one every single week. But, but the, the, the level that he's shown seems to me this year to have been up there for Grand Slam finals, Grand Slam semifinals, maybe not Grand Slam titles quite yet. He's obviously got a physical um, point to make to prove that he can he can stick a fortnight of best of five set matches. But on his level, he seems to me to be pretty close. And uh, with any luck, he'll keep on improving. Yeah, well, it's an exciting story to follow. It's great to see that he's finally putting it all together because he has been a hugely frustrating figure at times over the last two or three years. And that does appear to be uh, improving this year. Simon, lovely to talk to you. Thank you for doing that interview. Hope you've enjoyed it here on the Tennis Podcast. Brought to you in association with The Telegraph, of course. Follow all of Simon's stuff on The Telegraph website and in the newspaper and with Eurosport, of course, too. And we'll be back with more Tennis Podcasts in the weeks to come. 